From the outside, singer, songwriter, and rapper Latasha had it all. In the 2010s, she'd risen up the ranks, starting at Poetry Slams before eventually opening for people like Big Sean. But there was a problem. I luckily have like a law background, so I understand some law and was reading contracts and just was like, this is impossible. There's no way that I'm going to be able to survive off of these contracts. Latasha wasn't really making any money. The middlemen were taking a huge cut of all her royalties. Latasha was finding it so frustrating. But at the time, there wasn't much she could do. And so she continued performing and making music before her work took her to L.A. in 2020 which, as everyone knows, was the perfect time to move to a new city and get ready to perform a bunch of gigs. Pandemic hit while we were here and we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? All the industries that we work for are pretty much shut down. And so we were living off of unemployment for a bit. And so Latasha did what a lot of us did at that time. She tried something new. Now, she didn't get into baking sourdough or hosting those terrible, terrible Zoom quizzes she started looking into what was then called crypto art, or NFTs. The technology that underpins how NFTs and cryptocurrencies work is called blockchain, which essentially allows the really secure sharing of information. This data sharing is so secure and fast that you can trade essentially anything that has value. It could be something physical, like some merch, or something less tangible, like Bitcoin. Now, to most people, Blockchain technology just sounds like something fancy they don't really need to understand. But Latasha, she saw an opportunity. She realized that she could use this technology to sell her work directly to her fans and completely cut out any middlemen. Latasha became the first woman rapper on blockchain in February 2021 and was one of the first to bring music videos to the platform. She sold one of them in an auction and made over $50,000. There was something really incredible happening here. And I was like, wow, this could revolutionize the music industry and every art industry possible if we could just get the tech right. Welcome to Frontiers, a podcast from the upside that gets intimate with culture pioneers and business innovators that have made their mark on the world. I'm John DeGraff Johnson. And I'm Niku Banai. This week, how Latasha is using the blockchain to revolutionize the music industry. I'm really excited to hear from Latasha today. And she's just such a wonderful and interesting voice in the sort of world of crypto bros and and NFTs. She's a really good counterpoint, I think, which is exactly kind of what this podcast is is looking to do. So I'm particularly excited about hearing from her today. Nikki, what, what are you excited to hear? I'm going to pick up on a word that you just used to describe her, which was a counterpoint. And I think that captures her perfectly and what she's managed to do in the field that she's been working in. Being a counterpoint, challenging the conventions in the music industry, which has got some really strict conventions in it and have been going for a very, very long time. For her to come around and do what she's done is showing that there is an alternative way to how things can be done. So she talked a lot in the episode, actually, about DAOs. And I thought it'd be really good for us to just define that for the listeners before we get going. So, Niku, hospital pass for you. Please define what a DAO is. Thank you, John. A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, Do you understand that now, John? 
Do you know that enough? <laughs> I'm still very confused and I think our listeners will be too. So. <laughs> so, so let's break this down a little bit. So the first word decentralized, if you think about how decisions are made in classic business, it's normally like top down. The big boss makes a decision and it cascades all the way down. Whereas in a DAO, decisions and the rules of how a team or a group of individuals operate and organize themselves is decentralized. So the power sits with each individual. That's what's happening here. She talks about building and creating and using models where the power is decentralized to individuals within a group to make key decisions and to generally do things as one collective. Okay, cool. That's really clear. And I think clearly she's chosen to invest in DAOs because she's just so ambitious about what she wants to do with her life, with her music, with her a sort of reshaping of the music industry. And we think we're going to start by just trying to understand just what motivates her, what drives all of that ambition. I think oftentimes as a black woman, we have constantly been told that we have to struggle, that we have to be in survival mode constantly, that we have to live a life of constant battle. And I want to end up in a garden at the age of 90 chilling in my piece. And a lot of my work now is for that 90-year-old Latasha to be in her garden chilling with a beautiful legacy and big abundant bag for futures. So that's where I'm at right now. Sounds like a cool garden. <laughs> Thank John, you. John and I will be in there with our lawnmowers. <laughs> I just bought a rocking chair. I'm going to be very comfortable. I love it. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about your like journey to becoming a, a musician? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Brooklyn and, you know, if you know, Brooklyn and New York is just encompassed with music all over the place. I mean, every place you turn, there's sound, there's music, especially in Brooklyn. Um, and I grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, which is like a Caribbean, West Indian, Latin community. So sound and music was just a part and ingrained in everything that I do. But I did not think I was going to be a musician at all. There was absolutely no way my mother was going to let me do this at that time. So I used to sneak and listen to like Biggie Smalls, TLC, all the different types of music. I even listened to a lot of Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears as a kid too. And um, Great choices, all great choices. Thank you. And then I would just imagine myself being an artist as a kid a lot. And then I got into writing in my teen years. I started writing poetry and got into like the poetry slam worlds. I had a partner who passed away in my teen years and to heal, I just kept writing poetry and all the affirmation work that I kind of am in still to this day. And so went to Wesleyan University, studied playwriting, performance art, thought I was going to do the Broadway thing <laughs> and <laughs> thought I was going to write plays on hip hop. That's really what my focus was in college. I really focused in on the Black body in hip hop and what it symbolizes and how the Black body is commodified and utilized in entertainment and beyond. And so I thought I was going to go into that, but life got real and I had to start working at a nine to five at a scary bank. And then found myself in ciphers and in music out of nowhere from the poetry slam work. Before I knew it, I was opening for like Kanye West, Big Sean. I just knew I loved to make music and loved what I was doing. I see a lot of your your work is thinking to the future and thinking about where things are going to be. And, and it sort of connects to one of the other things we've really liked about your work that I've seen is 
that exploration and experimentation into the crypto NFT sort of Web3 sort of world. And what exactly are some of your main projects in this in sort of NFT space? I know you were the first one on there. You're the first one doing a music video. I'd love to hear some of those main projects and what they've been like. Yeah, some of my main projects um, when I first started were, of course, bringing music video to blockchain was really important to me. I was just tired of like the YouTube structure. No beef to YouTube, but I was just tired of how that structure was being utilized for artists and artists not receiving the benefits of these massive music videos that they're paying a lot of money towards. So I was like, all right, let's bring all of my music videos to blockchain. And so we started to release them and that became like a whole world in itself. So if you have a Latasha music video, you pretty much have something super rare within blockchain at this point. The other part that was a big deal was just music NFTs in its whole. So like MP3s, et cetera. We started to run that with Zora and with Catalog. Zora's ethos is really dedicated to sovereignty and autonomy for artists. And so we push to give public good to creators of all types, from devs to writers, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized there was this like big gap with education people getting to actually know what the technology is in a peer-to-peer way. And so I started these seminars back in 2021, September, and just talk about Web3 and getting people their wallets, getting people like to understand what the technology is in a very basic way. And that started with like 40 people at a seminar and turned to like 4,000 people coming to our events now. And so... Very grateful for the subscription of people that have grown with Zoratopia. It's beautiful because it's not just education. It's also really community connection and a place where people get to like really get to know the artists that are growing out of Web3. I love that focus on education. And I wondered about your community at Zoratopia. Like what's the makeup is it? Do you feel like it's different from the wider crypto community? Oh, absolutely. Um, the heart of Zoratopia was to create a safe space for BIPOC women and queer folk in Web3 to feel like they have someone to talk to and connect to. We were big on that and still are big on that. Even with so much support coming from different realms of the community, we are very, very, very adamant about who is the heads of Zoratopia or the faces of Zoratopia because this work is for that community, the marginalized community in Web3. I like to say that Zoratopia is the other side of Web3 and culture because so often when people hear about Web3 and crypto, it's immediately white men, white rich men oftentimes. And I'm like, I know that for a fact, this actual work, if we flipped it over its head, would look like it's for us because we have been working towards this autonomy and sovereignty for a long time. It's interesting because I hear your story and I hear a story of necessity. Like it was like, okay, my industry shut down. We've got to find something. That's where crypto came from. And it strikes me that that's very different to a lot of the other stories you hear in this space, which were, oh, this is an exciting new thing. I think I can make lots of money. I can create a huge thing. I can create a huge company. And, and I wonder, is the story of people and you and like yourself a bit forgotten in the story of mm, Web3? I love that question. Um, I don't want to say it's forgotten because obviously I'm talking to you and I'm getting to share this beautiful story with you and more people. I think oftentimes in the beginnings of a new journey for tech, we will witness one story constantly. 
And then as it goes along and becomes like the shaping of our existence, more stories will open up. I think little by little, we're pushing and telling the story and doing our work towards it. It's exhausting sometimes, trust me. But that is the point. The whole point is to like make sure that this is represented so more people could come and feel a part of it. So I don't want to say we're hidden, but I will say that we're definitely going to kick some doors very soon and be seen more and more. How does your community help you? Yeah, I mean, my community is everything, to be honestly. For Zoratopia, obviously, the community comes and supports and, like, comes to the events that we throw, which are IRL events. And then they also come to the URL events. Most of the people who work for Zoratopia are community members first. So, you know, I found them through the community. They came to Zoratopia and they were like, hey, I love this. Can I support? And then they got a job out of Zoratopia. And so... The beauty of Web3 in certain parts of it, especially for my side, is that there is this really dope world of people that support each other. So, you know, I'm supporting other artists, they're supporting me, and it's this really dope support ecosystem growing in this space for, I think, the marginalized communities especially. Yeah. Yeah, we see that as well. You know, the research that we've been doing with Aglip, one of the marginalized communities that was really apparent in that was women. Mm -hmm. But what was really fascinating was that they saw that Web3 presents itself a great opportunity for entrepreneurism. Mm -hmm. and, exactly. But, so they had more appetite for it, the <laughs> men, but they felt more held back. Mm -hmm. And that's most definitely coming from the history and the baggage mm -hmm. that's coming. Mm -hmm. And we got to make sure that in this new opportunity in this space that those barriers can be taken down of course and given people the opportunity but do you see that have you faced that have you seen that in that space yeah, of course I've seen it. I've definitely, especially when I was starting out, there was no one caring about black women's art like that. Like no one was buying it like that. Especially black art that embodied blackness in it. But my work, I think, and the work of many women in the space is to know that in the back of our minds, but keep going. There's going to be noise. Any project, anything you do, it's going to be cluttered and filled with noise, especially in crypto. So we have to move the noise aside and just stay on the point. I recently did Fortune's like PW conference and the focus was so heavily on the FTX moment. And I was just like, wow, there's so much more happening in the space. And all you want to talk to me about is this white boy who did some ridiculousness. And it frustrates me. And I know it frustrates a lot of women to have to like constantly be on that fight and defense. But at the root of it, it's when those beautiful moments happen where artists are receiving the wins that they deserve, right? Like when I got like my first music video that hit $50,000 and that became one of the highest selling music videos, I was like, yeah, all of that is worth this moment right here, you know? And and then we keep having those moments. And so I just keep going back to the gratitude of those beautiful moments and the moments that really represent something bigger for us. Tell us about that feeling. What does it feel like to sell a music video NFT and be like, people love my art, they're buying it. <laughs> it's wild. I've been through the walks as an artist. I've 
went through homelessness at some points. I've couch surfed. I've toured on a little tiny van. I've done all the stories that you could hear an artist go through trying to make it, quote unquote. And now to see the worth come through in this way is like, wow, my art did have value this whole time. You know, when people were telling me that I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't enough, I finally found a place where someone sees that my art does have that value and understands my story and wants to show up and support it. And that is everything. Well, I feel certainly hopeful and empowered for the sort of ability of artists to use these new technologies to empower themselves and to take back some of the control of the music industry from this mysterious large companies. I feel like Latasha is really a great example of that, but also she talks eloquently about how she can bring that to people around her that really, really need that support. So I'm really enjoying this chat so far. I think it's really optimistic and hopeful. What are, what are you getting? She, she, well, she is a role model to show how others can do it and not have to follow what they think may be a prescribed path of how to succeed in a particular industry. And she's shown that by understanding and using technology to her advantage, she can make a living. And that is super impressive. And it also starts to show that how creativity can be grown, spawned, ignited in different ways than what we might expect it to be. So that's whether we would like to fund creativity in different ways, or even the people that can make a living from their creativity in ways that they hadn't thought of five years ago. That for me, I think is quite a powerful message from what she's done. So it all sounds very positive. It's like this glorious utopian society where creatives can make endless amounts of money. I kind of, does that feel, does that feel true? Is that really, are we really going to get that? I mean, that's the big question here. Who knows? She's showing one way how it can be done. There are other models, of course, that exist in the world, some that are more traditional and have been institutionalized. I think what we've got to look for here is that there are options that are starting to appear, right? They may not be perfect, but they are starting to be experimented with. And she is one of those experimenters, one of the, you know, as you described before, she's one of the counterpoints to the institutions that have existed and she's doing it in a way to say look it can be done differently and i think there's a lot to learn from that wonderful well i guess we we should as we move on back into the conversation with her i think we take it from that sort of thirty thousand foot level down to some of the technicalities about how you know web3 can be used in the future how we actually deliver that transfer of yeah money from fans back to the artists my music video was in auction. It started at $1,000 and went all the way to $50,000. I received that whole $50,000. And then I added that it's worth 30% royalty to me. And so the person who resells it gets 70% and then I get 30%. And so that is dope because now we don't have to wait on anyone to tell us when we're going to get these payments. The payments goes directly through blockchain, right? And through our, our wallet. 
now we could witness a new surge of artists that don't have to really be making tons of money. They could just be making little by little a lot of money and like growing that. And so we're witnessing like this middle class art world growing or something of that nature. I think this is the future. This is the future for the creator. What are some of the challenges about being an artist in this way? I think we often talk about how great it is and there are so many benefits, but what are some of the drawbacks you have to think about? Combating the storylines of what crypto is and Web3 is could be really tough. And NFTs, you know, I try to like bring in a lot of amazing artists into NFTs and then they'll be like, my fans don't like NFTs. Like, I don't understand, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, they just don't get it. And they need to like figure out the true story behind NFTs. And that's why I I am happy to be a representative of this, because I think when people hear my story, they understand it a little better and realize that it's not just a bunch of crypto bros just trying to make a million dollars every time. It's like actual people, women, artists, just trying to figure out a different means. I'd love to hear if you're also a collector or Mm -hmm. a buyer of various types of NFTs or tokens, whatever it might be in the space. What have you been um, collecting or or supporting, should I say, as well? I collect because I just love artists and I want to support artists that I really like. I don't collect like the things that make big money or anything like that. I'm genuinely collecting mostly music and art from my like visual artist friends. I just want to support my community. I think that's like the biggest biggest reason why I'm a collector. I love that thought and expression when you say I collect music, which is so cool and so different to the Spotify induced streaming world where yeah, you can create your playlist and your other bits, but the collecting bit, i.e. appreciation and going really deep with the artist isn't quite there. It's not the same. Yeah, I think what we're doing is revaluing music, you know, and really um, saying that music has like this place in our hearts that it didn't have and for a long time because of streaming. No beef to streaming. I think streaming is definitely a tool that is crucial and working. But I think what it did was undermine music and undermine like the value of what artists have done to make these songs. What Web3 is doing is that we're witnessing artists really receive that value from all the work that they're putting into the music, receive community for these albums. And that is what I wish music could do again, like these really dope potent moments where the music just connects people again. How do you bridge back to the sort of physical world? Because I'm sort of hearing that the NFT part of it is one part of your art and then you have your community and then you have this gigs and all other stuff. And I, I think one of the things people often, they get stuck with is that all this is just spits and O's and ones <laughs> on the screen. So do you think about connecting that back and how do you do that? I think the IRL experience is the most crucial part of this thing, or it will just be bits and zeros and ones all the time. I think when I met the people that I've been talking to on Twitter and connecting with or my collectors, that changed the relationship to an even deeper relationship. And I think... It's crucial to have these IRL experiences because you actually get to know the human. I've learned so much more about creatives and artists by just Web3 alone versus like all the years that I've been in my solo, just working all all by myself. This space, when we have these IRL experiences, when we have our seminars, when we have whatever, allows you to hear what people are really looking for and push for like 
that same idea of wellness for everybody. And then you're also like getting to give the artist directly without anyone else taking from the artist, giving to them directly. And I think oftentimes with like a Patreon and et cetera, you got all these fees and everything else that comes from giving to artists. And this is like a whole new way to do it. And so if you care about artists and you want to see them win, this is the way to do it, I believe. What have you got your eyes on that is not in the space of music or art? when it comes to blockchain developments and potential uses of Web3 technologies, because the use cases are so important. You were the first in your space to prove how it can be done in music. But what other spaces have you seen that you're going, yeah, it's going to like really boring spaces, like it's going to upend the insurance <laughs> business or it's going to do this to car sales or whatever. Yeah. Like, have, you got, have you got any visions of what you're, where you see excitement? I'm really excited for blockchain to like hold documentation and like passport, like ID, like things of that nature. I think that's going to be crucial, especially in countries that are going through a lot. People need that documentation to be solid and blockchain could really save that. I'm excited for what's happening in California where they're going to be experimenting with car titles with NFTs now. So you'll have all of that via blockchain. I'm always excited for ticketing with blockchain, ticketing all events through NFTs is going to be fire. That way you could have it on blockchain, but you could also like have it be like this deal that you get from every event that you go to. And that way no like fake tickets could pop up anymore. Like everything is on the blockchain. So I'm excited about all those tools. I also saw this really dope piece by my friend Verte, who she did a jacket that was an NFT. So like she was wearing her jacket. And then if you scanned it, you could see her music video. And that was, and the jacket itself was the NFT with the music video. So I thought that was really cool. And I think that's like a cool merch idea for the near future as well. So your lots of your merch has uh, coming for my checks on it, which I think is kind of a cool <laughs> phrase. And I wanted to just ask you to say that. What is what does that phrase mean to you? Like, where's it come from? Oh, that was from my song, Go Go Wine. So um, coming from my checks was like a lyric that I had on Go Go Wine. But it also was like a manifestation lyric that I was just like putting on everything. And I have hats. I have all types of stuff for that. It's so funny because I wrote Go Go Wine before I got into Web3. And so it was like funny that I was like coming for my checks and then I did get my check at through web three. So <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's all working. That's what I like to say. It's all working together. And that's what the merch was for. You manifested it. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's interesting because I mean, a lot of your, a lot of the conversation you've talked about is like sovereignty and independence and, you know, having control of your art and, and where it goes. And I, that's why I asked about that lyric. Cause I feel like it, it encompasses so much about what you're talking about. You're like, no, I'm going to, I'm coming for my checks and my checks, <laughs> I earn them and I'm going to get them. And this is the way I'm doing it. And I'm actually, you know, it's kind of coming for our checks. It's the whole community doing it. So, exactly. Cool. I've witnessed a lot of struggle, you know, and, and like a lot of folk in my lifetime have just dealt with that struggle. And I just see a world where like a lot more could be cleared from our plates. And I want to walk into that direction. To wrap that together, if there was a, a manifestation you'd like to put out to the listeners, what would you like it to be? What would you like them to take away? That's such a deep one. Now I have to like think about all the listeners out there. I would hope that one, 
this podcast and this moment offers them a different understanding of what Web3 could offer to them and for the future of our peoples. I would hope that they go listen to my music. That's the ego talking. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, get to know me a little bit more. And um, I'm just manifesting for all of the people that are listening out there to move in the direction of their greatest vision. I just want everyone to be in their greatest selves. I know that's really cliche and probably like, oh, she's so optimistic. I'm not always the most optimistic person, but I do believe if when people's actually get to do the things that make them the most happy, we move into a better state collectively. So I want people to move into the thing that they want to do in their greatest self every day. And that's what I'm manifesting. It was really great to hear from Latasha today and all that she has achieved, the barriers that she's faced and how she has got over those barriers in particular. For me, what I found fascinating is how someone that comes at the way of looking at these technologies like blockchain, like the formation of DAOs, and is just going rogue and using them herself to do what she wants to do, to express her creativity. And I love that. I love how she's just taking them and making up her own rules. I love that. And for me, it just shows what happens when you get a young, brilliant black woman and you give her the tools to support her community, to deliver her art, to create joy, to change her own life story. And I think I was just really heartened by that. I think we're all a bit sick of the same people driving the same sort of innovation. So seeing someone who looks very different, who sounds very different, and who's delivering something very different with the same tools is brilliant. And we hope to have more people like her on Frontiers in the future. And that's it for today's episode of Frontiers. To learn more about what Latasha has been up to, including some of those exciting projects she mentioned, which have been released since our conversation, follow the links in our show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Frontiers from the Upside, a strategy and innovation partner. This series was produced by George McDonough. If you want to discover more, check out our Better Metaverse report. It's linked in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, colleague, or anyone you think may enjoy it too. Thanks for listening and see you on the next Frontiers. Frontiers.